Hey everybody, welcome back to my Living Your Best Life with Bipolar podcast. Um, Today I'm going to talk a little bit about when you're living with bipolar, what kinds of things that you go through um, and how you get out of them. So for, for me, bipolar looks could look very different than somebody else. Um, it's not really like a cookie cutter, black and white type of thing. You can Google it, you know, you can read about it, you can hear about different symptoms and behaviors. And in some cases, yes, we do have similarities, um, but in other cases, we may have a different version of a behavior. So I'll give you an example. When somebody's bipolar, they tend to experience something called mania. So what is mania? So mania can be like a, a, te- a textbook definition would be, um, you know, heightened, uh, heightened elevation. So you're really happy. Like there's nothing that's going to get you down. You're, you're, you're happy. Life is good. Um, you want to go out and do everything. Like you want to accomplish things that you never thought you can accomplish. You know, if you are a person that loves music and you like to sing, all of a sudden you want to go for singing lessons. You know, it's, uh, it's those types of things that really just come out of left field. And uh, you would never normally do that on, on a regular day. So it's, it's those types of grandiose things and that elated happiness. Um, with mania also comes um, impulsivity. So if you're somebody that loves tattoos, you're going to just happen to drive by a tattoo shop and say, hey, I think I'm going to get a tattoo today. And believe me, I've done that before. Um, it's somebody that likes to maybe shop. So, um, and not necessarily for yourself, just in general, you like to just buy things and shop. It makes you feel good. So somebody that's overly excessively shopping or just buying random things that you don't even need, but just the mere action of going and purchasing and getting something new and that feeling of, of being happy and, and, and all of that stuff goes along with mania. Um, increased uh, sexual activity is something else that's kind of like a textbook definition. So you could be somebody that, you know, it just has a normal average sex life. And then all of a sudden you want to, you know, do different things, experience different things. Um, you may be more sexually active than you've ever been before. So that's another um, indication. Um, And then, uh, let's see, what else with mania? Mania is uh, a lot of talking. So you get on a subject and that's it. You can go about it for hours. And you talk very fast when you're in mania. So someone can't slow you down. Like once you start talking about something, that's it. You're you're going. Um, You get very passionate about certain topics and you know, issues, um, that normally wouldn't even be something on your radar, but in mania, you tend to focus on something or get fixated on something and it just kind of takes over. So those are symptoms of mania that I happen to experience and they are in, you know, what you would call like a textbook definition. There's so many other ones, but those just happen to be the ones that I can speak to because I've experienced them before. Um, then you have the low of bipolar, which is depression. So I've been there many, many times, um, recently just trying to get out of depression. 
So what does that look like for somebody with bipolar? So um, it, it could get pretty low. It could get pretty low. It could get pretty scary. Um, you're basically just stuck. You're just stuck in a black hole that you just cannot get out of. I mean, you, you, you don't want to do the things you used to like to do. You try and isolate yourself from family and friends for no reason at all. Like, it's not like anybody did anything to you or made you mad. Usually you just isolate. Um, you tend to want to stay home more often. So you're not looking to go out and party and dance and go out to dinner or movies or you tend to want to just kind of be a homebody, be solitary, um, and just kind of deal with the, you know, your immediate inner circle or the people you live with. Um, but going outside of that circle is usually rare. Um, you tend to not enjoy the things that you once enjoyed. So like if you're a gym person, you may not go to the gym, uh, or go to the gym a lot less. You know, if you're a person that loves music, you may not even want to turn on the radio. So it's like those types of things, um, with depression are usually markers and very similar with other people. Um, the, the low part, the, the scary part is where you can't get out of bed or you don't want to get out of bed. You know, you don't want to continue with living the life that you have. You don't, you don't want to deal with the things that you have to deal with. Everything seems overwhelming. Everything is all consuming. You have a lot of thoughts running through your brain and you have a lot of negativity going on and you really can't see the light. Like you can't, that's, that's, that's when I talk about the light on my blog. And what I mean by that is it's almost like a black cloud is following you. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how you feel, you just have this enormous amount of sadness and everything feels overwhelming. So that, when in a nutshell, when you when you when you're stuck in that, you can't see the the bright side. You can't see the positivity. Um, it just it's just not visible to you. So that's even more sad. Like that brings more sadness. That makes you more depressed. Um, sometimes people with depression either don't want to eat or they tend to overeat. So kind of depending on what you're going through, what your situation is, what kind of mood you're, you're in, what kind of triggers are setting you off, you can be more of a, a, a stress eater, you could be more of a comfort eater, or you could just not have an appetite at all. So those are just some of the symptoms. Um, and then the more serious ones are obviously, uh, you know, suicidal thoughts or you know, just thoughts of hopelessness. So like for me, I don't, I don't deal with suicidal thoughts, but I do have suicidal kind of pictures in my mind. So it's kind of like, um, you know, watching an old movie reel in black and white. And, uh, when I'm really, really low, I tend to idolize or, or, you know, my brain conjures up different ideas of what like a suicidal action would be. So does that mean I'm going to play it out? No. Does that mean, you know, my husband needs to hide all the, you know, all the, uh, the pills that I take? No. For me, that's not, that's not what I would do. 
but that doesn't mean that for somebody else that wouldn't be extremely important to keep your eye on. So um, that's basically in a nutshell how depression and mania work with bipolar. So what happens when you're stable? What does the middle look like? I like to call it the middle. So for me, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I have my good days where, you know, I'm happy and things are going good. And no matter what kind of stresses and triggers I deal with, I'm, I'm able to, to kind of, to kind of work through them. You know, I'm able to try and keep my anger at bay. Um, and I try and keep my impulsivity at bay. So I shop for what I need to shop for. I don't shop for things I don't have to. So for me, that's kind of like the middle. Um, I tend to be productive. I get things done not nearly as productive as I am with mania, but I'm definitely pretty productive. I can function, like I can take my kids to school, I can do homework, I can cook dinner, I can be super mom, I can I can work, I can have a career, um, I can get things done. So for me, middle ground is ideal, obviously. Um, I love mania, don't get me wrong, but with mania comes consequences. And when you're in, the, in mania, you cannot see those consequences, or if you can see them, you don't even care about them. So for you know, in the middle, I understand consequences. I understand that if I go out and spend $500 in Bed Bath & Beyond, um, that's not a really good thing for me if I have other things going on that month or bills or activities or whatever the case may be. So. Um, that's why the middle ground is so important. So how do you find that middle ground, right? How do you get there? So for me, it's medication. I've tried it off medication um, and I tend to, to jump what they call hypomania. I tend to go from high to low really fast. So I can have two really good days and five really bad ones. Um, and so dealing with that kind of fluctuation and mood and it being so close together and happening so uh, so close um, I don't it's very hard for me to try and maintain or even get to that middle ground and stay at that middle ground for a long period of time so for me I take a mood stabilizer called Lamictal um, and that mood stabilizer keeps me what I call even keel I'm not so high I'm not so low I'm kind of in the middle taking it one day at a time. That doesn't mean that I don't experience depression. That does not mean that I don't experience mania. That basically just means that um, I'm able to deal with some of these triggers and outside influences a lot better. Um, and then I also take uh, so for anxiety. So no matter whether you're even keel or high or low, Anxiety is something that not all mood stabilizers can treat. Everybody's different. So for me, anxiety is a huge, plays a huge factor in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I tend to be anxious. I tend to have a lot of triggers. Um, my daughter suffers from ADHD and generalized anxiety. So if she's having a really bad day um, and I kind of have to talk her down, um, that causes me a lot of anxiety. So dealing with that um, and never really being prepared so she could be having a great morning and a horrible afternoon 
or a horrible morning and a great afternoon and then a horrible night. So for her, it's like I'm always constantly walking on eggshells and she, she's constantly keeping me on my toes, which makes me extremely anxious. So um, in that respect, um, I have to take an anxiety medication. So what does that anxiety medication do for me? Well, it calms my brain down. It calms my thoughts down. It calms the way that I react to things. Um, whereas if I'm anxious, normally I'm irritable. So if, um, you know, if everybody is doing what they have to do, my whole family is just going about their business and my kids start fighting, it's normal. Like, you know, it's normal for moms to kind of say, you know, stop fighting, you know, and then after you've said it three times, now it starts to escalate. Now you start to yell and you start to get angry. And that's kind of normal. You know, that's nothing uh, abnormal for a mom to have to deal with. But for somebody with a mental illness or anxiety issues, it's not just that moment. It could actually destroy your entire day, your entire night. Um, and you, you start to experience like a level of panic. So it's like a panic attack or an anxiety attack where you cannot stop yourself from getting that anxious, angry, irritable feeling. Whereas the moment probably passed 10 minutes ago, you know, your kids were fighting. You told them not to fight. You said it a couple of times. You may have yelled a few times. They finally listened. And then they went about their business, went to their rooms, went to go play. And normally in a perfect world, everything would be good. Like that would be fine. But for somebody with anxiety, now that whole experience has affected you and you have to talk yourself down. You have to talk yourself off a ledge. You have to uh, isolate yourself and, and kind of get your head right, calm yourself down. You have elevated heart rate. Um, you have, you know, experience of um, not being able to breathe. So shortness of breath or just feeling like you have like a weight on you. Sometimes you're sweating. Sometimes your your breathing is heavy. So there's so many different things that can happen with anxiety, and it, sometimes it takes a while to get yourself back, you know, stable again. So that's um, that's another thing that I deal with. And so for me, I take something called Klonopin. Whereas I know there's another anti-anxiety medication a lot of people take called Xanax. So for me, what's the difference? So Klonopin is longer lasting. So I can take Klonopin and it could last me almost maybe six to eight hours. Whereas Xanax has like a four hour, what I would call shelf life. So it's going to be instant gratification. It, it does kick in a lot quicker for some people, but it usually only lasts about four hours. And then after that, it's almost like your body crashes. So you, you know, you were, you were doing well, you were, dealing with the anxiety, you were dealing with some of the uh, markers and behaviors I just talked about, but after four hours, it wears off. And sometimes you're still dealing with the anxiety or you're still dealing with that moment or that situation. And now your anxiety medication is wearing off. Can you take another one? I mean, I don't know any, any uh, psychiatrist that would recommend it. So, um, and also can make you very sleepy. 
So if you're with your children or you're driving them somewhere, you're in the car, you're working, um, it's not so easy to just pop another pill. You know, they do, they do have side effects and they do make you sleepy. Um, they're also controlled substances. So if you're popping Xanax every four hours, there may be some sort of um, habitual thing that starts or, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, feeling or need to always have that constant, you know, um, feeling of being calm. And so that can get you into a whole different world of trouble. So in general, um, for me, that's kind of how I keep myself stable. Um, it's kind of a little mix of cocktail that myself and my psychiatrist worked out to get me to where I need to be, to get me at a good level. Does it always work? No. Is medication a cure? Absolutely not. What it seems to do for me is get myself out of my own way. So it helps me deal with the anxiety so I'm not so irritable and angry and um, things aren't bothering me as much as they normally would. Uh, it helps me get out of depression. So when I'm in, you know, when I'm on a mood stabilizer, it helps with that high and low. It helps to try and keep me level. So I don't have such strong, you know, ideations or not making all those impulsive decisions. But at the same time, I'm still getting things done. Also, you know, everybody kind of may wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I don't feel like going to work today. I don't want to wake up. I'd love to go back to sleep. That's normal. But if you're in a depression, it hits hard. So that that's something where the medication helps me kind of stay away from that really low, low, low point or even any kind of suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. Medication does help with that. So in a nutshell, that's basically the way that I, I go through bipolar, the way it looks for me. But as I mentioned, it's not a black and white thing. It's not a cookie cutter thing. You know, people all experience it in different ways. So um, that's kind of basically it. Again, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't, you know, I don't have those, you know, certifications, but I can talk about what works for me. Um, when it comes to medication, it doesn't, it's not the same for everybody. Everybody's body chemistry and makeup is different. So what may work for me may be horrible for somebody else. So unfortunately, when you are first starting out with bipolar and even when you have bipolar and you're managing your symptoms, sometimes you have to do a different cocktail of medication. Sometimes you have to try five medications, six medications. In my case, I think I had tried more than 10 medications to try and find that right cocktail. Then once you have it, it's like, great, everything is great and I'm doing great, uh, but then your body may get used to it and then it may not be as effective. So it is extremely frustrating when you're going through the medication process, but I can tell you, don't get discouraged. I know that's easier said than done, but there is going to be something out there for you that will work. It's just about process of elimination, trial and error, and finding out what makes you feel that your best possible self. So just a little uh, tidbit on bipolar and what it looks like, more specifically what it looks like for me, but some of you listening to this may be able to relate to some of these different behaviors. Um, 
and that's basically it. So if anybody else has any other questions, you could always DM me um, and I will uh, be setting up another podcast for next week. Thank you very much. Have a good day.